Welcome. You are listening to the Upper Room Podcast. For more information or to donate to this ministry, visit URFellowship.com. Thank you. It is, it's an honor to be up here and to speak. I told God several years ago, if you ask me, I will say yes. And then every time he asks me to speak, I think, oh my gosh, why did I say that? Can I change my mind? I don't mean it anymore. Um, I, and this makes me really appreciate Chris and the work that he puts in week after week for us. So um, Chris is in Florida. Thank you, Chris. <laughs> um, appreciate that. But My name is Beth, and I have been a mother for 22 years, and this is actually my very first Mother's Day. I have been childless. (laughs) I came by myself today. I have a son who's 22, Jacob's in California, getting ready to head back to Colorado to pick up my middle son, Jordan, who's, they're caravanning back across the country. And Mark is at a volleyball tournament with Jaden today. So um, thanks to COVID, only one parent can go to any of the volleyball tournaments. So, <laughs> so I'm here today. Um, I'm honored to be here in the presence of my mom, Celie, um, my mother-in-law, Suzanne. <laughs> my sister, who's auntie M to my kids, um, I tease her. She posts a lot of pictures on social media, and I don't. And I said, people are going to think that you're raising my kids, <laughs> and they live with you because I don't post, and she does. But um, I'm just honored to be here with my, my family and our church family, because we really do have beautiful, beautiful women here. And I, I'm not usually a crier, um, None of us planned any of this today, so um, from Kate's introduction to Chuck's adoration and Beth's to my message today, we did not plan this, but God did. But I want to talk to you today about the paradox of motherhood. Motherhood can be the greatest joy that we've ever experienced. Holding a newborn baby, watching them develop, take their first steps, say their first words, mama. Sometimes it's dad at first, but. (laughs) The unconditional love and affection that children give us. Being a hero in their eyes. Quality time that you get with them. And when they get a little bit older, the text messages, I'll be at work and I, my phone starts blowing up. Mom, 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 answer your phone. And, you know, someone's on the other end, like, help, I need help. Um, Having them call, text, call for advice, call for relationship advice. Watching, watching angsty teenagers who are trying to figure out their own faith and listening them worship their hearts out. 
even in the midst of them trying to figure out where they are in their own walk. Being able to have conversations with your kids where they share things that are troubling them or bothering them and being able to listen to them and talk to them and have them say, thanks, mom, I really needed that. That helped me. The love that we feel for our children, it's, there's nothing, nothing on this earth like it. But there also comes with motherhood deep pain. And this is worldwide for women. The pain of miscarriage, the pain of infertility, the regret of abortions, the shame of unwed pregnancies that the, sometimes the church heaps on condemnation, disappointments about what you were hoping for or what you were dreaming of and having a scenario that looks a lot different than what were your dreams. Having the sorrow of dealing with physical ailments or special needs. Suffering the death of children that we should not be putting in graves before us. The sorrow of adult children overdosing. Decisions that adult children's make, adult children make that could break our hearts. Rejection from children, abandonment from fathers, whether through death or through divorce, being cut off from your children. There's physical pain in giving birth. I had a 10-pound baby, my first baby. If you've ever met Jacob, his shoulders were almost as wide (laughs) as they are now. And I can remember laying in the hospital. I had three epidurals. They didn't work. They went down my left leg and paralyzed my leg. And so Mark had to hold my leg up. And I just remember thinking, I cannot believe people have more than one kid. (laughs) This is the worst experience of my life. Postpartum depression, losing your identity as a mom and thinking, Am I even a person anymore? I can remember one time I had Jacob make all the cards for Christmas and, you know, the name tags where people were going to sit and I was looking for my name at the table. And I said, Jacob, you forgot me. I said, no, I don't. No, I didn't. It's right there. It says mom. I was looking for Beth. (laughs) I didn't find it. I can remember one time I was away um, working on my master's as a residency program, and my my colleagues were, we had a um, day off, and we drove to the beach, and they asked, Beth, what kind of music do you like to listen to? And I was like, I don't even know. <laughs> Barney, I, I don't even know. I just listen to what other my kids listen to. I, I don't know what I like. I, I don't know. 
There's a lot of shame that society heaps on women, whether or not they choose not to have children purposefully, that that shame and condemnation gets heaped on women, or whether it's they want to have children and they can't. There's a lot of shame in that. So there's this paradox of great joy and the best thing in the world that you wouldn't train, trade for ever, anything, and then deep pain that comes with being a mother. I think um, being a mother <laughs> has caused me to pray more than I probably ever would have prayed before, and it makes me very grateful for my mother's prayers <clears throat> for me and my siblings. And it makes me wonder, like, how, how can this be? How can something that's so beautiful and joyful and a gift be so painful at some times? And then yesterday, I, was, I had this experience yesterday, just a paradox of life and families. I got the privilege, Kate and I got the privilege of interviewing Josh Osborne for the podcast. And Michaela's on on Monday, and we've had all, almost all the Osborns on. And if you listen to Becky and Dave's podcasts, you know, they say, what lights you up? They both said family. And it w- I was just almost in tears listening to Josh talk about his faith and his experience and what his family has meant to him. And all of his, all their kids have said this. And it's such a beautiful picture of legacy of generation after generation after generation, serving God and raising their kids up to follow God and to love God. And that was, that was so beautiful. And then I got in my car and I drove to work. I drove to Youngstown where we are hosting a league for inner city young adults, 18 to 22 year olds. And I was instantly, 30 minutes after I was with Josh Osborne and just like reveling in the beauty and the blessing of what family can mean, thrust into a community that's 30 minutes away from us, talking to the chief police of Youngstown about these kids and programs that we can do. Um, talking to my new friend who just got out of jail two years ago. He was sentenced to life in prison for murdering someone at 18. He, he was a product of the streets in Youngstown, and he's coming back and sewing in and speaking into to the lives of these kids that didn't have a family, that didn't have the beauty of generation after generation after generation. And I think... I'm just like, God, how can this be? How can we have this beautiful legacy and then right down the road, people that you love that are hurt and in turmoil and don't have that? It's such a paradox. And God, God brought the scripture to me from Genesis 3.13. So Genesis is the very first book of the Bible. If, you, if you're not a Bible reader and... In chapter 3, I mean, they barely get out of the garden. You know, God told them to be fruitful and multiply. And there's sin. Sin enters the world. And God is talking to the sermon serpent that had deceived Eve. And 
he said in Genesis 3.15, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. And I thought, you know, from the very beginning of creation, Satan has been after women and after believers. And that's the paradox is someone is after us, trying to get us, trying to take something that's beautiful and causing pain. And if you take that at face value, a snake, enmity between a woman and a snake. I don't know very many women that like snakes. If a snake showed up in your garage, <laughs> there, there are some animal lovers in here, but, um, you know, I don't think we would like that. And it's, so the Bible says we will strike its head and he, the snake, will bite our heels. And that's legitimately what happens. People, they don't try to get people's, you know, they don't hit their tails. They try to crush their heads with snakes, and snakes bite our heels. And that's, at the, that's just at the literal level. But when you read into it, and you, if you get into Bible concordances and what the experts say, this, this verse means more than just a snake biting a heel. And the, the snake is really a representative of, of Satan because he used the snake to deceive Eve. And so Satan is after the seed of Eve, mankind, all of us believers. And so there's this continual warfare of Satan trying to pull us down, to hurt us, to bite us. The, the Bible says the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. And so we're in this tug of war of Satan and warfare and God trying to redeem us. And then the experts say there's, there's another level of that and that the seed that they talk about is Jesus. Jesus is the seed of the woman and that there'll be enmity between Jesus and, the, and Satan. And when it says it'll crush your feet, they talk about that being Jesus' humanity so Satan may have crushed Jesus's humanity. He thought he was killing him. Dying, you know, he died on the cross for our sins. But Jesus was in heaven and he rose again and he is our redeemer. And so even though it feels like that sometimes, like there's so much pain in the world or in mothering or motherhood and there's great joy, Satan wants it to be pain but Jesus wants it to be joy. So I was thinking about, what am I going to talk about today on Mother's Day? And, you know, I wonder what Jesus says about mother and his, you know, his mother Mary. So I went to Matthew. Matthew, the very first chapter in the gospel is Matthew 1. And there's a genealogy and what's so interesting about this genealogy is in the Bible, most, this is the very first genealogy where they listed women in it. All of the ones before that have been, they were the fathers and it was patriarchal. And so if you're anything like me at times, you can start reading 
Okay. The record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David and the son of Abram. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah. And you may be like, okay, I know all those. I know those stories. And his brother Judah, and the Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. And then it goes on, and you, you might be like, I don't even know these people. I don't know how to pronounce their names. Why, let's just skip to chapter two. Okay. Anybody else do that? But if you back up, there's, I'm like, wait a minute. Oh, Tamar. Okay. Let's, let's look at Tamar. Who was she? You go back to Genesis, chapter 38. This is the story of Joseph. Everyone, I, that's one of my favorite stories in the Bible is about Joseph. And right in the middle of the story, there's this chapter about Judah, who was Joseph as Joseph's brother, and Tamar. And it's, some days you, you may be like, why is this in here? But God puts everything in the Bible on purpose, everything. And we, we believe the Bible is true. And if you don't read your Bible, I would just encourage you to pick it up because there's some fascinating things in the Bible. So I, because I am standing between you and brunch, I'm not going to read the whole chapter of the story of Tamar, but I'll paraphrase. So Judah had three sons, and he, he married a Canaanite woman. He had three sons. He found a daughter, Tamar, for his first son. And his first son was evil and wicked, and God killed him. And so back in the day when that happened, the second son was supposed to fill in the gap and produce offspring for his brother that passed away. And so she was with the second son. And he was evil, and God didn't like him, and he killed him. And there was a third son. But I bet at this point, they were probably like, she's kind of like the black widow, you know, blaming it on them, even though it was the men who were evil. And so Judah said, oh, well, you know, my youngest son, he's too young. So you go back home, you go live at your parents' house um, as a widow. And when he gets, the third gets old enough, I will send him and you can marry him. And back in those days, that was kind of like she was, in, she was trapped. She had to go back to her house. She wasn't allowed to remarry because she was um, pledged to be married to someone else. And so time went on and she kind of started getting suspicious because she's like, I think he should be old enough. And, you know, they never got word. So she found out that her, her mother-in-law had died. And so she went and she found Judah. Are there kids in here? Um, I'll do the PG version. <laughs> She dressed up as a prostitute. She got pregnant from her father-in-law and conceived. And he didn't have any money with him. He, would, he didn't have any cash. So he, she said, you know, can you give me something and pledge? He said, I'll send you a goat. And so he gave her his seal, his cord, and his staff. A seal is like a credit card nowadays. Like, so I have your credit card with your name on it. And... He went home, he went to go send the goat to pay, and 
people were like, I don't know who you're talking about. No one, no one's here. And he's like, well, okay, I'm keeping my coat, my goat. So he went home and he just was going to forget about it. Then he got news that his daughter-in-law was a prostitute and she was pregnant. And so he said, burn her, bring her out, let's burn her. And she said, oh, but wait, (laughs) the guy who I'm pregnant with, here's his credit card, I have his name on it. And Judah realized, oh my goodness, that was me. And so he said, you're, you're more righteous than me. So she gave birth to twins, and it's very interesting. They have this little, I'm telling you, your Bible's very interesting. This little verse about she was giving birth to twins, and one of the babies stuck their hand out, and so the midwife tied a scarlet thread around it, and the hand went back in, and then the other baby was born. And she, it says, oh, so you, you broke out. And I was like, okay, that's really interesting, Jesus. What, <laughs> why did you put that in there? What, what is that? The, sec, the baby that came out first was Perez, who was in the lineage of Jesus. And when she said, you are breaking out, you know, that's a foreshadowing of Jesus breaking out. So that's Tamar. So, you know, here's a woman who was unrighteously treated by her father-in-law and and the men in her lives. She took matters into her own hands, and there was grace upon her life. God, God gave her grace. She birthed two sons. One of them came, Jesus came from the line of. And that could be scandalous. So then you keep reading all these guys' names. Guy, Guy, Abhabadan, Amashada, Nashamanama. Then you get to the father of Boaz, and you're like, oh, I know, I know that name. That's easy to say. Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, another woman in the genealogy of Jesus. This is not normal. So you go back and you look at the story of Rahab, and in, in Joshua, they describe her, they call her Rahab, the, prost, the harlot, the prostitute. She was a prostitute, and the spies came in, they were scoping out the city, and they went to, I imagine it to be like a brothel, I don't know, but they went and stayed there because they figured guys are coming in and out, they're not going to see us, they're, you know, we're just going to sneak in there. And Rahab, it says she had great faith, and she knew that these were men of God, and she knew the city was going to be turned over to them, and she had hope and faith that their God would turn the city over to them, and she said um, she believed that God was going to protect them, and so she said, I will protect you, but please protect my family, and so she hid the spies. Again, go read it because it's super interesting. She hid the spies. They figured out he was here, and, and she hid him on the roof, and they said, no, they left. They went that way. Go chase them, and then she let them out, and they escaped, and the bottom line of the story is Rahab and her whole household was, was saved and rescued. She had hope, and she had faith in a God that her people did not serve, And that's another scandalous story. 
in Jesus' lineage. Then we keep going. And it talks about David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. So they don't even name her in this, but they allude, and we all know that it's Bathsheba. We, they allude that it was another, another man's wife that became the mother of Solomon. And so you go back and you read in David's life the story about Bathsheba. Bathsheba was married to one of David's mighty men. He was his only wife. And David saw her. He was supposed to be off at war. He wasn't. He, was, he couldn't sleep. He was out on the roof. Bathsheba was um, bathing. And he saw her and he said, who is that? And they told, told him who she was. And he said, bring her to me. And they brought her to him. And he lay with her and she became pregnant. Now, it doesn't say much about that. You could read a lot into that story. But I don't think that Bathsheba woke up that day and said she wanted this to happen. She was married to one man. She loved him. And the king calls her. And so I don't, I don't know exactly what that relationship was like at the beginning. But I can't imagine it was something that she wanted. And she had great pain for that. David tried to cover it up. He sent the, the husband home. And the, he was hoping the husband would sleep with her, but he didn't because his men were out of battle. And so he said, well, that didn't work. And so the next thing he did was he made sure that he got killed. So David killed her husband and then brought her to live with him and be one of his wives. And David had many, many wives and many concubines. So you're going from a situation where you have one husband and you're loved to being in the king's palace with many, many women. And she paid the price for somebody else's sin. She lost her husband, she lost her baby, she lost her life, she got put into a situation that she probably, in my opinion, did not ask for, but she had to pay the price. It's scandalous. And then we keep going. And we get to Ruth. I went out of order. Ruth was first. Ruth was a Moabite woman. And if you read in Deuteronomy, the Moabites were cursed by God. And Ruth had married she became a widow, and her, her mother-in-law, Naomi, said, go back to your people, go back to your home. And Ruth said, no, I'm going to stay with you. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. And so Ruth stayed with Naomi. And the story unfolds that Boaz, who is in Jesus' lineage, ended up becoming Ruth's, Ruth's husband, and he became her redeemer, and redeemed her. And then we have Mary, Mary the mother of Jesus. In the genealogy, 
Joseph is listed first because Matthew was trying to prove that Jesus was the Messiah and he came from this line. But he talks about Mary. And Mary was probably the most unlikely person to become the mother of the Savior, of Jesus. She was a teenager. She was betrothed to be married. And yet Mary said yes to Jesus. And she said yes to the call on her life, even though it cost her. And I know we can make um, cute little stories in our head about Christmas time and Mary and Joseph, but there was a lot of scorn and a lot of pain saying yes to that in that day because people thought she was an unwed mother. They talked about her. There was probably shame in that. And so I think about how do you, how do, you do that, God? You have these women that suffered, that were, took things into their own hands, were living immoral lives, were cursed by God, were paying for other people's sins, were put in a situation that they weren't prepared for. You, you take all that pain, and out of that comes Jesus, who's perfect. You take the broken and the sinful and the hurt, and Jesus comes out of that. And I think the story of those women with Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, Bathsheba, and Mary just paints a picture of God's grace and his kindness and his forgiveness and his love that he had for these women that they were written into the story of Jesus' life. And as a mother... I can remember thinking, oh my gosh, am I going to screw these kids up? (laughs) I'm sure I'm not the only one that has felt that way. And even if God says, yes, you are screwing them up, (laughs) God is our redeemer. And if if you are sitting here and you're feeling like, I'm not worthy I'm not a good mother, I screwed up, I didn't do it the right way or in the right order, I made mistakes, I can't do this, this is hard, you are in good company. Because those women who were in Jesus' lineage was the same. They made mistakes, they screwed up, it was hard. And God, in all of that mess, can bring joy. There's grace. There's forgiveness. There's hope. There's redemption. And that's for us today, just as it was thousands and thousands of years ago. And so I just want to encourage you. God knows your situation. God knows your pain. God knows your joy. God knows your pain and your joy can be within moments of each other. 
How many of us mothers are like, ah, and then like five minutes later, you're like, ah. (laughs) He knows it all. And he came to redeem. He came to crush Satan's head so that he couldn't be the victor over us. So I want you to stand. You know, Solomon wrote the book of Proverbs, the book of the Bible of wisdom. And in Proverbs 31, he's talking about the wife of a noble character. And his mother was Bathsheba. And I'm sure that Solomon learned this from his mother. And some of the words that he wrote about his mother, she's worth far more than rubies. She brings him good, not harm, all the days of her life. She's clothed with strength and dignity. She can laugh at the days to come. She speaks with wisdom and faithful instruction is on her tongue. Her children arise and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I just thank you for each and every woman in this room, whether they are a mother through birth, through adoption, whether they are an aunt, a godmother, a mentor. God, you created us to give life and to nurture And I just call that out in each and every one of us. And those places where Satan comes in and he tries to steal, kill, rob, and destroy, we thank you that you are the victor over that and that we can crush Satan underneath our feet. I just pray that you would give us the wisdom, the strength, the courage to love well, to raise our children up, physical and spiritual children, in the way of the Lord. That you would give us joy in our hearts, that you would help us to see past the crazy day in and day out of hardships of motherhood and to see the joy and the life and the beauty that you bring forth that. And Lord, I just pray that any hurt or harm that any of us have experienced or are experiencing in the realm of motherhood, God, that you will just come in and that you will give us grace over our situations, that we will be able to have hope in you because you are our redeemer. You have called us. You are, have equipped us and you give us what we need. I just speak a blessing over each and every one Lord, bless us with life, bless us with wisdom, bless us with grace, and may we know that you are our God, that you are a redeemer, that you take the unperfect and the impractical and the scandalous, and you turn it into beauty. In Jesus' name, amen.